Welcome to Dan Budnick's Last Slumber Party Minute. A minute-by-minute minute thing of the stuff with the guy. And I'm just joking with you, folks. It's it's eventually Super Train episode 56. I don't know if you saw in, in the feed there like uh, a few days ago, a week ago, like 71 episodes of Last Slumber Party Minute went up. Good times, all good times. I hope you're enjoying them. But here's uh, episode 56 of Eventually Super Train. Huzzah! We are discussing... Well, we're discussing some Green Hornet stuff. I'll let you hear that as it happens. That'll be Kristen and myself. Then we are knee-deep in... Knee-knee-deep in Bourbon Street Beat with Mitchell and myself. And then the final episode of Ellery Queen. Let's dive on in. surprised or did you know that was going to uh, happen sooner or later we are on batman everybody it is march 1st 1967 and march 2nd 1967 a piece of the action batman satisfaction directed by oscar rudolph teleplay and story by charles hoffman the green hornet and cape toe arrive in gotham city they are hunting down uh, uh some counterfeit stamps and they've traced it to the Pink Chip Stamp Company. And they meet the foreman, Colonel Gum, who is evil. Evil! And also loves disguises. And uh, Colonel Gum uh, goes to his, uh, the boss, uh, Pinky Pinkston, and with her pink hair and her pink dog. And she goes over to Commissioner Gordon to ask for help. And Batman gets involved, wondering what the Green Hornet is doing here. And then you see, uh, and, and, and Adam, Adam West, uh, Bruce and uh, Brett turn out to be good pals. And they hang out a bit. And they hang out with Pinky. And they also uh, go to a another stamp shop. Um, uh, Bor- Severoff stamp store, I think it is. With uh, Boris Severoff, also Colonel Gum, who is a possibly selling counterfeit stamps and there's counterfeit stamps this goes over here over here over there uh pinky learns that um that uh uh colonel gum is up to all sorts of bad stuff so gum and his henchmen sort of tie pinky up and and sort of uh, take her hostage more or less and the first episode piece of the action ends with sort of everyone converging on the stamp factory and green Hornet and kato are put into the enlarged perforation and coiling machine to become stamps human-sized stamps do they become human-sized stamps well the next episode batman satisfaction we learn they do not but gum kind of escapes and puts on another disguise and it all um uh it all converges at the international stamp exhibition where gum is he's up to something who knows it's it's stamp related he's nuts but the real point of the episode, of course, is to see uh, Britt and um, Bruce together and then Green Hornet and Kato uh, going up against uh, Batman and Robin. And we will be going deep into that in our discussion. But let me give you another blast aside. Oh, here's something. All right, everyone. I, I, I know what you're saying. Hey, damn, you big freaking sellout. 
Batman. You're talking about two episodes of Batman, and you're not only. It's not that you're you aren't just doing one episode this time and one episode the next time. You're actually doing two at once, which you'd say you said you'd never do. <laughs> it's going to happen, and it's going to happen right now, and it's going to happen with my good friend Kristen Hawes. Kristen, how are you? I am sweltering in the seat, Dan. But other than that, Ooh. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm 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 okay. It's it's actually not as hot here today. As was what what's it, is it really like crazy humid? Or what's what's it like there? Yeah, it's like ninety, but the feels like is like over a hundred. It's Oof. it's pretty humid today. Yeah, we we are we're actually I think we're we're like in the high eighties today, which is weird. Um, uh, but we're, we've been so humid here, which is strange for Los Angeles because they always say, well, it's 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 the dry heat. Yeah, Jack, it ain't been the dry heat for like the past two or three weeks. It's been the damp heat, <laughs> and it ain't raining anytime soon. So. Ugh. But regardless, are you excited to talk about Batman? I am so thrilled to be talking about Batman. Yay! So what, what I'm going to do, I've already introduced, I've already uh, filled everyone in on what's going on. Just, uh, we're going to start off, I want to do um, just your basic, here, here, here are my thoughts. Basic overall um, thoughts of the two episodes. Then your thoughts of how Green Hornet and Kato are treated in it. How, how, what you thought of them in it. And you can mix the two together. And then just any random thoughts you have, and then sort of final thoughts. That's going to be the outline for this, because we don't want this to go on for like an hour, folks, because it's it's uh, two 25-minute episodes. But what are your overall thoughts on, on piece of the action and Batman satisfaction? I Okay, I've seen this these two episodes multiple times, um, and it was only in watching it for this podcast that I realized that everyone in this episode except for the dog says something stupid. Like this, this episode is so. <laughs> You're not wrong there. Yeah. It's it's just that I don't. I, first of all, the 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 plot. You pointed this out earlier when we were talking earlier. That there's it has something to do with stamps, but it's like there's something to do with a stolen stamp or a missing stamp, and there's something to do with fake stamps, and neither the two shall meet when it comes to what this crime is. I I still don't know what it was this it, this <laughs> for batman two-parter with, with you know and we're used to camp and we're used to silliness this was just kind of a mess i thought what did you think uh i i agree it's it's it really feels like i mean because we are deep deep into um the 60 half hour episodes of season two they made which which technically rounds off to 30 hour long episodes which is how they made them and during this season um, 66, 67. Most shows were doing 30 episodes, whether they were half hour or an hour. So, so, so 60 isn't that crazy, but it's still kind of crazy when you see all the stuff they're doing. And yeah, th this feels like Charles Hoffman had like, we we want the Green Hornet and Cato. Uh, I've got this crazy um, rich gal who's all pink who has some sort of wealthy stuff she does and I've got this guy stealing stamps and I've got this other thing it's, it's like he had six ideas and he just threw them up in the air and they kind of hit the floor and he just wrote them down as they hit the floor and things happen and they're not not developed and and you you get to the end and it's like now okay so Colonel Gum was trying to rob that stamp exhibition but but why was Green Hornet there? Why was this? What was I don't? Yeah, it's it's literally. I I've seen this many times and didn't realize how much of just like um, it's really incoherent, and in in ways that I find kind of fascinating. Now, not that I'm going to watch it again, 
anytime soon. But it's it's really just just so weird, and you you keep thinking that it's going to sort of come together, or at least I did, Hope Springs Eternal, you keep thinking that it's going to come together, and it's going to make sense, but what happens is it doesn't, and things that, here's my favorite uh, thing, what is it, the um, uh, the Gotham Gothic, a stamp they talk about through the entire thing, what happens with that, do they find that, do they not find that, does it just fade away? No, I don't think they found it. Okay, yeah, because they keep referring to the fact that Pink Pinky Pinkston and her her dog Apricot, um, her father Pinkus Pinkston, and yeah, I think maybe we were getting a little tired at the end of the season here with some of the names. Um, they he owned the only copy of what was it, the Gotham Gothic stamp, and it comes up over and over again in the first episode, early on in the second episode, and it isn't until it's over that you think. What happened with the Gotham Gothic? And this this thing about forging stamps, like Colonel Gum is supposed to be forging these stamps, but he's like forging thousands and thousands. Of, these aren't like 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 um you know for, forged like World Series tickets or something. These are stamps. You know, the, you, it's 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 an episode that just piles on stuff. And I know, like you said, uh, we know the camp, we know the this, that, and the other thing. But generally, things make sense. I don't think this does. Not really at all. It's nice to have Green Hornet and Cato there, but and, and also Colonel Gum isn't the best of the villains. I was trying to think of a villain in the Batman series that I thought was less effective than Colonel Gum. Uh, the two I thought of were the Puzzler, who is was supposed to be the Riddler, but they rewrote him as the Puzzler, and he comes off kind of lame. And the other one I thought of was the Black Widow, played by Tallulah Bankhead, as she was dying. And so, you know, the fact that, you know, I compare, yeah, this is this is not, this is, he's not a great villain. I wish they had come up. I, I would have loved to have seen, like, like, the Joker or someone go up against the Green Hornet. But, um, because Green Hornet's gone up against some crazy folks. But, yeah, th- those are sort of my my general thoughts on that what did you what did you think of uh like green hornet and cato the use of them in this episode well i thought it was interesting that they, they understood because this is why couldn't look better than than batman but he like basically walked right into that one stamp machine that they end up shoving them in yes it's like, green hornet's not that dumb like could you could you Make it a little more clever, I guess, that he gets. And of course, Bruce or Batman has to correct him on some arbitrary. You know, this is this is actually how your image got up on this stamp. Which, by the way, those stamps, I would totally hang those in my my room. Oh, like, bitch! Oh my mm-hmm. gosh, yeah. And if people don't know who the characters are, you could say it's Van Williams or Bruce Lee. And if they yeah. don't know, who, and if they don't know who they are, they're hel- they're hopeless. Get them out of your yeah. room. Yeah, you're like, you have to leave my house. Please. Because this is unacceptable. But, you know, I mean, so I understood that, you know, they couldn't make Green Hornet look better than than Batman and, and stuff, but it was just, some of it was just, it was a little too much, I guess, especially when they were getting pushed into that gum machine, because it's like, come on. They're not that dumb. Yeah, because the, the, way, the way it works is that it's like, uh, Gum says, let me show you the workings of the machine, and he, like, grabs Green Hornet's arm and kind of pulls him, and the Hornet looks at him for a second, and instead of hauling off and punching this this low, 
to the ground. He goes, oh, yeah. Well, he doesn't say that, but it's like, okay, I'll go look in the thing. Let me let, let me and Cato lean in here, and poof, they get shoved in. Yeah, it's... Uh, it's not their it's not their finest hour. No, mm-hmm. no. Other than uh, I did like I do like though that that Britt got a few digs in on on Batman saying he would never wear that crazy cowl and <laughs> yes. stuff like that. I did like I did like that. But the whole thing with you know because Green Horn there's Green Hornet visiting basically, and they have this whole thing in the second episode about you know that Bruce Wayne is the Green Hornet and Britt Reed is Batman and it's like no. Why, where are you even getting this from? <laughs> where does that, yeah. Why would your brain pan, you know, why would your thought processes go with that when Britt doesn't live in Gotham City? Yes. Bruce Wayne doesn't live in wherever Sentinelville. I don't know where Green Hornet's supposed to be living. Do you, do, you notice, do you notice that they specifically say, like, this isn't Green, this, uh, Green, what is Green Hornet doing here? This isn't his bailiwick. And you're like, why did you say the name of the city? Don't, don't yeah. say the name of the city. Help us out here. We're trying to pass this on a map. <laughs> yeah, but it, it, I mean that whole that whole thing. Like I said, it, everybody in this episode said something stupid, and that that was that was part one of the stupidest was this whole idea that it was Batman. Why would you even think that when he doesn't live there? And you see Batman frequently. Yes. Yeah. That doesn't make sense. Yeah, I, I, I think, um, and, and, and I apologize, folks, uh, Skype is, is kind of giving us some grief this evening, so I apologize for any breakups or anything here, but we're trying to, um, I mean, you guys know uh, how I screwed up that one batch of episodes a while ago. We're, we're, we're plowing through this, so please please bear with any Skype, Skype grief. <clears throat> uh, yeah, it's, it, what's so strange about this is the previous episode to Piece of the Action is... Um, uh, it's it's the one with Catwoman in college. I forget what it's called. Catwoman goes to college. Batman gains some knowledge or something like that. And there's a sequence in there where Batman and Robin are in Commissioner Gordon's office, and Commissioner Gordon calls Batman, uh, calls Bruce Wayne, and Alfred does something with the typewriter that replicates Bruce's voice, and Batman's standing right there, and then. Commissioner Gordon hangs up and says, you know what's funny, Batman, is sometimes when I talk to Bruce Wayne, I feel like I'm talking to you. In fact, for a while, I thought you were Bruce Wayne. Oh, that's ridiculous, Commissioner. Um, but now that I've heard, you know, and, and just in the previous episode, everyone, the Commissioner was having thoughts of Bruce Wayne being bad. And now, yeah, it doesn't make sense. It's a weird, it's it's like, like, like it, to me, it's really like Charles Hoffman didn't, um, no one kind of sat him down with his scripts and said, Charles, this doesn't make sense. Charles, this doesn't make sense. They were like, we're pumping out so many episodes, no one has time to look at the script. So just send it. Um, yeah. But but my, I, I'm sorry, were you were you done with your Green Hornet? Yes, I want to know about you, what, how you feel that the Green Hornet was used. There are a couple of scenes, well, apart from a few dumb moments, between Bruce and, and, and Britt, where it's implied that they've been rivals since they were kids, which I really like. And there are some scene. There are a couple of scenes with them in some sort of strange restaurant with the models, like that one restaurant from that Green Hornet episode. 
you know, um, the, the, where the models are on the runway and they keep walking around. And but yeah, this, the pony room. Yes, the this, pony room. This is Gotham City's uh, up class, upscale answer to the pony room. <laughs> yes, but this this one, the gals actually come. But th- this is more like one of those, um, you know, where the gals come around and they say, you know, like this is a whatever from here, and it's like this and that. But they're all flirting with with um, Brit and Bruce. That I found very charming. And then there's an episode. Uh, there's an episode. There's a scene, I think, in season two when they meet up. I forget. Is it in Wayne Manor? I forget. But there's kind of a lovely moment, uh, a scene where they just chat with one another. And there's a bit, you could see the rivalry there, and it's kind of fun. And it's it's one of those things where when the episode ends, I just thought, I wanted more of that. I, I wanted I wanted less of Colonel Gum, who frankly is kind of dull, Pinky Pinkston, who is fine. I wanted more of 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 yeah, Brit and and Bruce and Batman and the Hornet and Batman and Brit and the Hornet and Br- I wanted more of that. And it the episode almost gives you I think I think if we hadn't just watched the first 22 episodes of Green Hornet, this would have probably been enough. But as it is, I wanted more. And they don't give you more. And even the even the fight scene when they get the big fight scene in the end, first off I forgot how far away the camera generally is in a Batman fight scene. Uh, the, 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 the camera is literally, like, mounted, like, on a crane or something, pointed at a set as, like, 20 guys, stuntmen, throw each other around. It's fun, especially when the, when the sound effects come up, but it doesn't really lend itself to, like, Bruce Lee's kind of fighting. You need to be in a bit closer so you can see what he's doing. And, I, 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 like, the final, there, there's a brief... Uh, uh, Robin and, and Kato have a brief fight scene, and there's a great moment where uh, Bruce Lee is doing some kick-ass stuff, and then and then um, uh, Burt Ward like swings or kicks at Bruce Lee, and and just when it looks like he's gonna miss or or it's gonna go a little wrong, like a big zam comes up on the screen. You're like, okay, they cover that one up. Batman and Green Hornet don't really fight; they punch each other a couple of times during the brawl but they don't really fight. And there's a weird moment at the end where, I guess, well, we could talk about this, so we don't have to talk about this, this weird thing during the final fight scene where people are on the left side of the room and the people who are on the right side of the room keep saying, let's go out the window and sneak up behind them. And they keep doing and I, I love it. I don't know what, what that means, but they keep doing it. But there is a moment right at the end of the fight scene where, and I, I think this is probably the most Green Hornet moment in the episode, where Green Hornet sees what Bat, Batman's going to sneak up behind Gum and stop him, and he turns to Cato and says, Batman has this, let's go, and they leave. That, to me, is the most Green Hornet moment in there. But unfortunately, it's also completely undramatic, because you want him to be there. You know, and, and so, I, um, I I will say also, there are a couple of scenes with, with um, Hornet and Cato, well, Britt Reed and Kato, and Kato um, where they're sort of in their hotel room, and, and Britt's dressed, they're both dressed in the outfits, but they don't have the masks on. Which are pretty cool. So I, I, I like what they did with Green Hornet and Kato. I don't exactly know why. I, I, it's the publisher's convention. I don't know exactly why they're getting mixed up in this stamp thing. That's never fully articulated. Um, but I wish there was more of it. I like to see them uh, get involved, but I wish there was more of it. Um, so what, what, uh, so what, what, um, like, uh, some details, what are some of your, your, your favorite sort of details and moments in the episode or some of your least favorites? Well, I do like that you brought up 
Cato and, and Green Hornet talking without the masks on, because I did. I like that, too. I, I You don't see that very often on the, the Hornet, Green Hornet show, so it was nice to see that there. And, again, and I'm with you. I, I wish we could have seen more of the Brit and Bruce rivalry. That was – I really I, like that. I could, I could have watched an episode of them just hanging out for the day, just knowing these are super millionaires, and, like, all the gals are coming up to them. Hey, how you doing? You know, I do the same. Why not? They're both they're both they're hunks. I mean, they're rich hunks. Why why not? You know. But I'm sorry, I yeah. interrupted you there. And you mentioned in the the final fight. I just okay for people who don't know, Robin is supposed to be like 15 years old. Burt Ward was actually like 24, 25, 26 when he filmed it, but he was supposed to be about 15. And so you have Cato kicking this 15 year old with some glee. I don't know why, but I get I just giggled every time I would watch that because I'm <laughs> like he's beating the crap out of a 15 year old. Yeah, that's beautiful. <laughs> um, and fun fact is, Burt Ward is actually a black belt in some sort of martial art. I can't remember what it is. So that's I'm sorry they didn't like use that more. That would have been interesting. Yeah, yeah. I I thought um, I thought um, and pardon me, folks. One of my dogs has a cough. And she just started coughing. So if you hear a dog coughing, I don't want to kick her out of the room. But uh, she just started coughing. Forget it's everything's crazy tonight, folks. We t- the moment it's I, I stop talking about short-lived shows, we get hexed. Although Batman was only on for two and a half years, yeah, which isn't terribly long-lived. But everyone loves it, and it's 120 episodes in a feature film. So, um, uh, oh, I'm actually I've got that scene with Green Hornet and Kato get it pushed in right now. That doesn't. I do like the color scheme, every all the pink and everything and, and stuff like that. That's fun. I'm that is dedication to a theme right there. Yes, it, that, you know <laughs> everything will be pink. And speaking of this, so at, at one point the back goes down because of Mrs. Cooper's hair dryer. Oh yes, and oh women, like, well, women's these, vanity. These criminals are going to get away because these criminals are going to get away because of a woman's vanity. <laughs> and I'm like. Are you serious? You're going to drag Mrs. Cooper like that while you are flirting with some woman with pink hair. Do you really think that <laughs> is natural? Go sit down somewhere. I was deeply offended by that. And then, and then Robin's thing is so where he says, what is it like? Um, um, we, we, the telephone isn't working and the electricity isn't working. But Batman, crimes have been solved before the telephone and electricity came around. And Batman's like, yes, I know. And I thought, I think that's the moment in Batman where sort of like the camp, that kind of thing, maybe teetered over a little too far. I don't know what it, because I just sat there watching going, I'm not convinced right there. And generally, yeah. generally, I'm very convinced by Batman. We're, we're not here to talk about Batman, the TV series, but it is the season it, it premiered, 65, 66, three of my all-time favorite shows premiered. In order from least favorite to favorite, Batman gets smart Green Acres. And Batman, to me, is a joy. It takes missteps, but it's a joy. However, there are certain scenes as it goes along where you're like, ooh, okay, I think they the less Lorenzo Semple Jr. had to do with the show and the more Stanley Ralph Ross did, the more it became super camp, and they started to lose it a bit. And that, I agree, yeah. that's one of the... But th- but there is an earlier back computer... Se- well, there's a back... Com- there, there's a lot of stuff involving alphabet soup, which is fun. Oh uh, I, I kind of like it. Um, uh, and Which is very, very Batman. But there's a great bit early on... What is it, where... 
they tried to use the bat computer's dual identity bat sensor to find out who Green Hornet and Kato are, but it doesn't work properly because whenever they say who are Batman and Robin, it says masked crime fighters, identities unknown. I, I kind of like that, 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 that they go in there and be like, okay, let's use the computer to find out who they are. It can't find out who we are. Why would it find out who they are? I like that. Yeah, the back computer was kind of garbage. This ep- these these two episodes. It really they was. Poured, yeah. Well, it did figure out the message. They, they oh. did figure out the message because they poured the alphabet soup in it. Mm-hmm. And of course, because Robin couldn't figure out the message because he says, "I didn't realize that alphabet soup didn't have punctuation." And I'm like, "Sir, you need more than a French tutor at this point." <laughs> because oh my gosh, come on, <laughs> just. <sighs> I mean, it's a it's a it's a mildly amusing moment, but it's also <laughs> like the stupidest thing he said. <laughs> I think I think the thing is that um, he I mean I, I think the thing that makes it stupid is that if Pinky is using the alphabet soup to send a message, she would have known that there wasn't punctuation. It would have sent a message without punctuation. So why is he? Why is that even a thing? What, well, also, what a, there was there was no J X or Q in that message. Well. And a lot of messages there aren't. They're not, you know, often used letters. Yeah, I would exactly. be more impressed if there were no E's. In yeah, the if there were no N's. Yeah, I, yeah. I would go. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot of uh, Colonel Gum's favorite thing to eat is uh, alphabet soup. And there is there is a moment with what is it? Um, I need more consonants. And a guy comes out with a box with extra consonants for alphabet soup. And I thought, well, they probably should be cooked. But I'll go with the joke. I'll let it ride. Uh, let's see what else. You what else? Put some raw noodles in there. It's fine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I didn't hear him. I didn't hear him crunching. So they must have been doing something. Um, what else do you have for this? Um, uh, let's see. Oh, what, at one point, Colonel Gum tells his um, his underlings, one of whom is Alex Rocco, uh, yes. to look busy, look busy and honest. And my first thought was, yeah, that's me at work. <laughs> look busy and honest. That's me all day at work. Yeah, that's me. You got uh, doing whatever it is I'm doing, and I got I got my peripheral vision on like a uh, factor twenty, just looking all around the room, making sure no one's approaching me. Luckily, <laughs> luckily where I work, luckily where I work, there's only one person who like sits really near me, and he kind of cares about as much as I do. He gets his work done as well as I do too. We we get it done, but but he's like if he stands up and I've got an episode of Petticoat Junction playing, he doesn't say like what are you watching. He just um, he just lets it ride. So uh, let's see, Miss Pinkston. Oh, Miss Pinkston. What did you, what did you think of Miss Pinkston? Well, she was definitely eccentric. She wasn't you know she wasn't some dumb damsel really. I mean, she got herself no. out of her own kidnapping mm-hmm. by having Apricot you know get loo- get her loose. The, but on the other hand, there's like moments where she's like the awful woman that Brit knows because she's like, you guys aren't paying enough attention to me and I thrive on rivalry. And it's just like, well, you're not the worst woman he knows, but no. he, you're not you're not you're no Miss Case. Yes, exactly. I, I would have loved to have seen Miss Case come along for this. She couldn't have, of course, because no. that, because the guys are hanging out in the hotel room dressed as Greenhorn. Well, no, that wouldn't have bothered her, though. I was going to no. say, let's. how about Mike? If <laughs> Could you imagine Mike in this? Just being so... Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I would like to... I would have loved to have seen a, a, a scene with Mike and then Commissioner Gordon and Chief O'Hara because, you know... Mike is convinced everything is the Green Hornet, and I would love to see his take on Batman. 
Oh my gosh! Wow, I would. Yeah, that would have been interesting. Yeah. Oh, poor Mike. Oh, he didn't get he didn't, he didn't get to play. Wrong, Green Hornet. It was a high velocity spectroscopic range reflector mini unit. That's what. That's I got it playing right here. And and I got the scene playing where Apricot is eating Colonel Gum's alphabet soup. Are you feeding that pink mutt my alphabet soup? And there's a pink chair in the background. They really went for it. Apart from oh, the wall, yeah. apart from the wall directly behind them, which is kind of gray green. Apricot gets picked up and moved around a lot. It, the, her factory reminded me of uh, my roommate. She said uh, there's there's a story she tells that I can't remember one of her friends' grandmas or something like that. Their entire house was blue. The inside oh. was just various shades of blue. Mm-hmm. And she said that if you spent too much time there, you honestly you got disoriented and started to think that perhaps you were you were going blind that you were losing your <laughs> your 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 color sense because you were just immersed in blue and so whenever i see pinky i'm like how what is her vision like cuz all she sees is pink all oh, the time yeah like how disorienting is that to walk into her pink, pink factory with her pink you know everybody's dressed in pink and all, all of that i'm like i w- with her pink stance I, I would have loved to have uh, just, and this isn't the kind of thing they did, but they could have, like, mentioning the Gotham Gothic and Pincus Pinkston and then cutting to a shot of, like, a um, like a, a picture of Pincus Pinkston holding up the stamp, and he's just all pink. And he, but he looks like a, like a grizzled prospector or something, but he's all pink. That's a commitment to a theme, and I feel yeah. this family has it. Yes. <laughs> what else? I mean, I guess when you're so sort of... Um, so wealthy that you have nothing else to do. You pick a pick pick the theme and go with it. Run with it. Run with it. Um, let's see. I'm just gonna I'm just scan my notes one more time. I don't really have um I didn't really get um sort of background or, or trivia on this. If you have some, you you can yell it out. But I, just because it's Batman, you know, and I feel like you know there have been at least like two or three books written on the history of the show, and you can go online and there are podcasts where people go through episode by episode. So. I didn't feel yeah. that this was something we needed to do. Although I will say, I think I'm right here, is that the woman who plays Pinky is in two movies that have um, are interesting to me. Uh, from the early 70s, she's in a movie called Wicked Wicked, which is directed, produced, and written by, I believe, R- <clears throat> Richard L. Bear, who directed like 166 of the 170 episodes of Green Acres. The... Uh, Wicked Wicked, do you know the movie? I don't know it, no. Okay, Wicked Wicked, it's a, a Warner Archive put out in a lovely uh, DVD. Warner Archive, in, uh, Warner Archive put out in a lovely DVD because you have to see it in the proper 2-4 aspect ratio. Uh, it stars the third and final uh, Chuck Cunningham. I forget the actor's name. But he's the one, If you know, if you know any Happy Days... He's the one who is in the Christmas episode. Chuck, is that you? I forget the actor's name, but it's basically it's basically it's set in like a hotel in California on the on the ocean side, and he he this isn't giving away anything. He plays like um like an electrician who's crazy, and he goes through like crawl space. It's not like Bad Ronald type thing, but he goes through like crawl spaces in the ceiling, watching people and stuff. But the thing about the movie that makes it um, interesting is the entire movie, apart from a few moments, is in split screen. They call it duo vision. So the one side of the screen is is follows the uh, Chuck 
as he goes about his killing, the other side follows a singer that he becomes obsessed with. And it's really fascinating, and you may read reviews that say it's crap. I don't think it's crap. I think it's a good job. But but the gal who plays Pinky is in it. And Pinky is also in the I, I, uh, a movie I call... I called for some time, but I don't call it anymore, My Nemesis, a, fil- a Filipino film called Death's Head Virgin, also called the Death Head Virgin. Um, if you've ever seen the VHS box, it's a drawing of a, or a painting of a woman in a bikini swimming under swimming under deep underwater, but her, her head is a, a skeleton, a skull. has no uh, Well, all our heads are skulls, but, but hers has no skin or anything on it. Death's Head Virgin was a film I rented from Video Ithaca in 1994 when I was in college, made a copy of it and said, I'm going to watch this. And over the next 20 years, I never got further than the first five minutes, farther than the first five minutes. It is a movie that I still have a VHS copy of, but I cannot get past the first five minutes. I've tried about 20 times. I don't know why. I think it might stink to high heaven, but I watch a lot of films that stink to high heaven. So I, I don't know why, but this film has become, like like I said, my nemesis. One day I will finish it. But for some reason I can't. And the moment I saw she was in it, I was like, oh my gosh, I know she's in it. And she, I, I didn't really like Pinky, but I thought she was fine. Maybe I can get through this. So um, we'll see how it goes. And all I can think when I said that right now was Pinky Tuscadero. So I guess I better stop talking. Do you have anything else on this one? Well, I do. Uh, Diane McBain, our Pinky. I yes. do. This is this will be of interest to you uh, in the future. She was actually in three episodes of uh, Bourbon Street Beat. What? So something for you to out for. There's oh my god! And she was also in two other episodes of Batman. She was in a Mad, in Mad Hatton. She played Lisa in two of the Mad Hatter episodes. I will so. say. Charles Hoffman wrote the Mad Hatter. I believe Charles Hoffman wrote the Mad Hatter episodes. Those are much better episodes. He's got it. And yes. David David Wayne is so good as the Mad Hatter. I love David Wayne so much. And he's just, he's so weird. hes I don't know where he pulls that character from, but it's so weird. Well, David Wayne is just all around great. So you shouldn't oh. be surprised that he would be good at Mad Hatter. Yeah, when, when my wife and I, when we watch the Ellery Queen Mysteries episodes, when, whenever he's on, he's wonderful, and whenever him and Jim Hutton have a scene together, it's just, that's, I adore that show for its mysteries and everything, but the scenes between the two of them are just like, they're they like an, an unsung dynamic duo in like TV history, I think. But, uh, okay, so if, if is, is that all you have? Because I think I'm done. I have one more thing. I will just leave everyone with this with this bit of uh, knowledge that we were imparted with when Green Hornet and Kato done stamp machine driver, and that was Kato saying they're both very flexible. Take that as you will. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's a great moment. Yeah. Um, and my last thing is, you know, this there was a time period. I don't know if anyone's actually mapped it where you had to end, not not specifically sitcoms, but you had to end uh, shows like this, adventure shows, action shows, detective shows. They had to end with a joke where everyone went, ha, 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 and then a freeze frame. This one ends, and I'm not going to tell you what it is, but I will say Britt, Bruce, Pinky, and Ap- Apricot are all at a table. And Bruce returns from being on the phone, and he does something, 
Pinky responds, and they all laugh, and the episode ends. I watched that scene about five times over the last 48 hours. I have no idea what it means. I have no idea why it's funny. I'm watching it on the Blu-ray here, folks. I'm not watching it, like, randomly somewhere. So I'm watching this on the official release. I don't know what that scene means. She talks to the dog the whole time. That, that's true. Yeah, I guess so. I, she, I guess she so. Will only, she does. She barely addresses Colonel Gum most of the time she's talking to the dog. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, I, I guess so. It, it just seemed like a really weird moment to me. And I was like, what? Yeah, I was going to say weirder than the fact that Bruce, you know, because he goes to call Pinky as Batman, and his excuse when he comes back to the table was that he couldn't find his keys, but they were in his pocket the whole time. <laughs> okay, maybe than that's that. Good. I maybe that's that. maybe that's what I don't know. I don't know. This is a strange episode. Two episodes of um, Batman here, folks. And I think I think I think we'll wrap it up. Uh, Christian, where can we find you online? You can find me at my blog, KikiWritesAbout.com. It's got all my rerun junkie posts, um, all of the links to my published work. Uh, you can buy me a coffee. I've got something called Writing for Tips there. And if you need me in real time, you can follow me on Twitter at Kiki Writes. Thank you so much. My dog just started coughing, so I am going to say da na 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 na. We'll talk to you next time, Batman. Bourbon Street Beat. Bourbon Street Beat. Bourbon Street Beat. Starring Richard Long. In New Orleans. Andrew Duggan. With Arlene Howell and Van Williams. Produced by Warner Brothers. Bourbon Street Beat, Episode 12, The Black Magnolia, December 21st, 1959. Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, everyone. What was I saying? Directed by Reginald LeBorg, written by Earl Baldwin. This episode begins on a steamboat, the Mississippi Queen. A young woman dressed as a man, or maybe a man dressed as a woman dressed as a... No, this isn't that. But it's a young woman dressed as a man, sneaks on board and is looking for something. The sleazy watchman finds her and eventually ends up shooting her. Her sister, uh, Ms. Montgomery, who I will be calling Mary Tyler Moore because that's who plays her, goes to see the guys and talks with Cal and says that she was her sister was looking for $75,000. And the story being that uh, one of her relatives... I, I believe her uncle, uh, Talbot Montgomery, famous riverboat gambler, on June 2nd, 1918, won $75,000 from Cyrus King. He uh, hid the money somewhere on board and sent a letter to his wife uh, that she, I believe she never got, saying where the money was hid. Now, somehow, uh, for, this, this has kind of been a legend thing, like there's all this money hidden there and everyone sort of ransacked it and looked for it and couldn't find it. And somehow the... Uh, it wound up in the letter wound up in the hands of Aunt Luella, uh, who was Talbot's sister. And uh, Cal goes to see her to try to get the letter from her. Now there's the stinky guy who took a shot at Mary Tyler Moore and Cal earlier, and he's also at uh, her her house, Luella's house, which is in the bayou in the middle of nowhere. And Luella basically says, "We picked all that over. It's you know, it's caused some bad blood. It's bad memories. Here's the letter. Just hopefully this gets her to stop." Well, Cal goes out to his car, stinky guy hits him over the head, takes the letter. So they have to begin another another tactic of investigation. And I will stop around the fact when, when Cal, uh, around the scene, which is a fact, I suppose, Cal and Kenny 
go on, they're checking out some records from the steamboat line and they look at June 2nd, 1918 and they discover that Talbot Montgomery and Cyrus King were in cabins next to each other and had adjoining rooms. Mm, interesting. And they also discover that Luella was on the same cruise. That was not a cruise. I guess it's a cruise. Would you, is it called a cruise in 1918? I, I guess it was. Yeah, sure. The Titanic, they went on a cruise. Nothing bad happened on the Mississippi Queen like that, though. I'm sorry. It was, it was a little tangent. But yeah, so they're on, on this, this journey on the riverboat, and it's Cyrus next door to Talbot with adjoining uh, doors, um, uh, adjoining rooms, and somewhere on there was Luella. What does it mean? Eh, maybe we'll tell you. Maybe we won't. I'm going to give you a blast, and then Mitchell and I will start talking. Here we go. The Black Magnolia, everybody. Here we go. Episode 12 of Bourbon Street Beat. I'm excited. You heard the plot. This is going to be fun. I am here with the one, the only, author of the Electronic Mirror, webmaster of It's About TV, Mitchell Hadley. Yes. How are you? How are you, Mitchell? I'm well, Dan. Thanks for having me on again. How are Yay! you? I'm doing all right. I'm. I, we're gonna. We're gonna. We're. We're gonna talk the black magnolia right here. Looking for seventy-five thousand dollars on the old Mississippi Queen. Know what I mean? I never knew what he meant in that song. He started right off asking me if he if I knew what he meant, and I and I would listen to the song, and I never knew what he meant. I love the cowbell in Mississippi Queen, by the way. Um, uh, and um, you know what's funny? Um, uh, well, I don't know. I, I, th- I thought it was funny. Uh, after I watched this episode, I um, I don't own any Mountain albums, so I went online and I looked up Mississippi Queen and Mountain. Uh, have a look at the band from around the time of Missi- Mississippi Queen. They are hilarious looking. Really? They, have, they are. You will every single one of them. Well, there are four of them. Is hilarious in a different way. So just please, that's something for you to do. Look up Boston, because uh, I was gonna say Boston. There, there's a. It reminded me of there's a band shot on the first Boston album where they all look hilarious. And when I saw the Mississippi Queen Mountain, I thought of them. Oh, and I just I thought, looked it up. You're right. <laughs> Don't, aren't they great? Aren't they great? <laughs> and it's like I love the cowbell. The riff is great, and the song. It's it's a, it's a great song, um, but it's it, you don't look at them when you're listening to the song. You don't. Sometimes it's better not to look at the people who are singing at you, and sometimes maybe it's better not to know what the people who are talking in a podcast at you look like. So maybe don't look us up. Although <laughs> I do have a, I do whenever I record with anyone, I always put a big picture of them up in front of me, and I have a large picture of Mitchell hanging in front of me right here, full length. What well, the heck? You know, as long as it doesn't have a bullseye on the uh, head or something. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> um, all right, so let let here we're going to dive right into Black Magnolia. Um, uh, uh, Mitchell, overall sort of uh, overreaching uh, thoughts on it, and then we'll dive into some uh, individual bits. What did you think of the episode? Another good story, I think. It has uh, it has an uh, an appealing mystery. Uh, it has uh, uncertainty about uh, about who done it. I mean, you can, you 
have your suspicions, but it's interesting to see how it plays out and why. And um, and it it has uh, the oh, second appearance yes. this season of the uh, I use this term a lot the painfully young Mary Tyler Moore. <laughs> yes, uh, yes uh, as Mary Moore. Yes. Yeah, and when when she showed up, I thought she was going to show up and say, "I just wanted to come by and say uh, thank you so much for saving me from the river." <laughs> like uh, like seven or eight episodes ago, but she doesn't. She's a different character. What's even better about this, though, she is playing a woman named Laura. Yes, yes. But obviously, obviously, what we have here is the future Laura Montgomery Petrie. Petrie. Yes. <gasps> I hadn't thought, but she tones down the accent, the New Orleans accent. Mm-hmm. She well, she's been living in 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 Connecticut for a while yes. by then and you know she's probably picked up something from rob uh, doing the tv shows and mm-hmm. yes but I, how weird is that yeah that was the moment she shows up i was like holy crap it's what and <laughs> I, I literally i did think the first thing she was going to say was reference the previous episode but she's a different character uh, but she's not in the woman in the river that much no so i don't know uh, but it was that, memorable it was memorable it was although definitely memorable yeah. although I'll, I'll take a minute now um if uh that uh, when we talked about that episode and we we made a big deal about uh about mary tyler moore appearing in it and i don't think she was even credited in the episode but she was um obviously made a big impression but um my good reader mike duran who uh listens to this podcast uh commented us to us that uh this is 1959 mary tyler moore so she isn't mary tyler moore um, she's literally Mary Moore, but the the yeah. the point is, yes, yes, we know that we know that she is not who she will become yet. But I think it is if if you want to know why Mary Tyler Moore was a legend, part of it is because even before she became a big star, she had it. Yes. And and I I would like to think, although it's impossible to do it without actually going back in time, I would like to think though that you would see her in something like this. And I say this, by the way, not as the I, I'm not the world's greatest Mary Tyler Moore fan, but mm-hmm. she did do a lot for Minneapolis with that series, and we love her here in a way that nobody else does. But. Um, I like to think that seeing her in a series like this, people would look at her and say, that girl's going somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because she yeah. does have that charisma about her. Oh, definitely. Yeah. What, what, the, the scene she's in, it's, it's very much... Um... Like, like she, uh, like uh, the the first scene when she comes into the the office there, and Melody and Kenny are, are smooching, and it's like Melody is is charming as heck, but it's mm-hmm. like just sta- just standing there. Mary Tyler Moore kind of, uh, sort of upstages her, just kind yes. of kind of just being there, and then Van Williams shows up, and I don't know what to think. I don't know. I don't know. I don't. You know. But yeah, no, I agree with you. You you can really tell when you say it's funny too, because like I am. Um, I've I've always loved Mary Tyler Moore, but I I don't I haven't really watched the Mary Tyler Moore show much. I I have I have some troubles with the more I'll put them in quotes realistic sitcoms of the seventies. Mm, yeah, I, I know I, what I, you I mean. Because I love the goofiness of the sitcoms of the sixties, and when you hit the seventies, it's like I love the Odd Couple, 
Um, I'm a big fan of uh, quite a bit of Sanford and Son, mm-hmm. but a lot of the '70s sitcoms, bits of Bob Newhart, I adore. But but there are this, oh oh you know what the the '70s sitcoms that really get me are and and pardon me if this is jejune, but are like Happy Days and Laverna Shirley, and and I know that's those are throwback um, shows, but um, I like those uh, very much. But but it's funny too because like Dick Van Dyke, I enjoy Dick Van Dyke very much when I watch it mm-hmm. but it's not a show that I go it's 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 uh, there's a there's a there's a site uh, called uh, DVD talk and uh, when the Green Acres complete series set came out last year 2017 um, they reviewed it and they gave it five stars and they began the review with the Dick Van Dyke show was the best sitcom of the 1960s Green Acres, mm. Green Acres was the funniest sitcom yes, of the yes. 1960s, and I said, okay, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know if I quite agree with 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 Dick Van Dyke, but I, I can see why they said that. Now that I see where they were going with that, uh-huh. where oh, the making the distinction between the greatest and the funniest, I, I know exactly what you mean. That uh, the the Dick Van Dyke show was an admirable show. It was well written. It was yes. well acted. It had terrific characters and it had occasional moments of real hilarity but it um, there's something about the absurdity of Green Acres um, yes. and whether whether it's what they're doing with the opening credits uh, fried oh. on hamburger or yes. the, the attacking Mr. Ziffel yep. yeah. or, or uh, the uh, the episode in particular the one where they decided that they were going to do the rutabaga bowl and oh. And it, you remember it ends with uh, CBS's cameraman showing up there to televise the game, which doesn't exist. But <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. And, and, and one of my one of my favorites, just because it, it relates to the book I'm writing right now, is there's an episode where they have to put on a play at the local high school and. They get Paul Henning to send them a script for the Beverly Hillbillies, <laughs> and so everyone acts out the Beverly Hillbillies. But then, like three seasons later, they're on the Beverly Hillbillies. Yes, they go to Thanksgiving dinner with them. Oliver and Lisa are there. They occupy the same universe. And they occupy the same universe, and yet the Beverly Hillbillies is a TV, and and on more than one occasion, you know, it's like can, you know they're at a town meeting where something's really important, and Oliver will be up there just saying, you know, and and the the fife and drums will be playing behind him and they'll say, we need to do this for the Hooterville Valley. We need to do this. And someone will raise their hand and say, is this going to go on much longer? The Beverly Hillbilly starts in 10 minutes. <laughs> and I, I don't think that there's, there's any slip up in that at all. I think that they're quite intentionally having them occupy two worlds at the same time. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And because if you, and then we'll get, we'll get back to Bourbon Street Beat, folks. I'm sorry. We get, we're, yeah, we're allowed tangents. Um, yes. Yes. Uh, um, yeah, I, I think what it is is that when you see Oliver and Lisa, Ebb, when he's on the Hillbillies, he acts pretty much the same. Not quite as goofy. Um, but when Oliver and Lisa are briefly on the Hillbillies, they don't quite see, they seem like an Oliver and Lisa that, it's it's one of those things where almost like um, the writers of the Hillbillies have been told, oh, well, Oliver is a lawyer from New York City. Lisa's like a socialite from New York City. And that's how they wrote them. Mm-hmm. But by the time you got to that point in Green Acres, they weren't like that. No. They, they were complete. So so it's it, they, they, it feels like it might be a alternate, like parallel 
universe Green Acres. Uh, yeah, I, the, that, that's an interesting theory. I uh, would actually like to explore that at greater length sometime because <laughs> I, I, you know, what I was going to say that it's almost like in The Simpsons, it's a Simpsons rendition of somebody rather than the actual yes. person. They okay. look like them, but they're not mm-hmm. quite there. Yes, yeah, yeah. And it's, 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 okay, and, and we'll stop in a moment. Yeah, but there is something weird about that, the Thanksgiving episode where they're all there. You, you realize that they're all going to be there, and you just wait for that moment when Oliver and Jed have a conversation, or Granny meets uh, Lisa. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't happen. Uh, some of the other characters meet, but that doesn't happen. And it's a little weird, and you wonder why, maybe the shooting schedule or something. But it's, it's nice to have them all together, but it they don't feel right on yeah. there. But uh, maybe because they were confused, like, aren't these the people we watch, like, every Thursday night or whenever the show was on Wednesday night or at that time? I don't know. They, but, uh, and that, that's our discussion of Burger Street. No, I'm sorry. What were we saying? I'm sorry, Mitchell. What were you saying? We, trust me, if folks listening to the show, I think you've heard some tangents that you'd be very surprised at. And this one wasn't so surprising, actually. <laughs> We never met a tangent. We didn't. Oh, we didn't like it. And you know what? I'll be honest. I think we're probably going to go off on another Beverly Hillbillies related tangent in a minute or two. <laughs> but um, did you have anything else to say about Green Acres? Um, about Green Acres, no. Although I do, I, I think it, it was arguably the single most absurd comedy of the 60s and i think that uh that's saying something well do you remember in the first episode you have john daly yes who's who's, who who is the host of what's my line but in the opening of green acres he's really the john daly who used to be the anchor of the abc evening news because he's doing he's introducing uh, the the story of Oliver and Lisa and who they are and he's very much the newsman and it's pre- it's presented as a like a TV documentary mm-hmm. like l- look at everyone leaves the farms and goes to the city we found one guy who did the opposite yeah it's a it's it's um an interesting an interesting combination it's almost like asking Edward R Murrow to be a guest in a uh, in a sitcom because it straddles that line. And I, uh, anyway, I think that uh, just to wrap it up on that, I think that you would have a very difficult time doing something like that today because they would the, uh, absurd, yeah, meta, yeah, they do the, they still do that pretty well. But at some point in time, rather than becoming self-referential, you become self-conscious. And oh, I think yes. that it, I, I think that the what the the beauty of Green Anchors is that they are so unaffected by what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and two the the way the 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 storyline works in those first few episodes of Green Acres is that first episode is a fake TV documentary that brings them to their land, and then the second episode, well, actually, the next time they appear is in the next Petticoat Junction episode that aired. You see Oliver and Lisa because Lisa won't go stay in the house, the old Haney place. Mm-hmm. The next episode of Junction, which is in between episode one and two, you see them arrive at the Shady Rest and say, can we have a room? And then the next episode of Green Acres begins with them pulling up to the house and him saying something like, Lisa, it's been a week. You know, are you going to go in the house? And you, you don't, it's it's funny because when you watch it with Junction in, in tandem, you see what's happening there. You see sort of the full thing that's going on. 
And and then when it hits the second episode, it abandons the TV thing and just becomes a very funny sitcom. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and most of that second episode, well, half of that second episode is them walking through the house, which is terrible. And it's sort of being terrible around them, which is a joy. Um, <laughs> But let's uh, let's um, let's get back to Bourbon Street Beat. That oh, was yeah. a bit of a that that was the backdoor pilot for our Green Acres podcast that we're going to be doing uh, sometime <laughs> soon. Our spinoff series. Our spin- yeah. spin-off. Uh, so so um, okay. Uh, I you said why you enjoyed it, correct? And uh-huh. I'm saying why I enjoyed. It. Yeah, I um, uh, I'll I'll just say quickly. Yeah, I I, I like the episode. I think it's got a lot of it's got a lot of great characters it's got a lot of great um backstory it's got um cal being uh given a concussion again i think um, he leads or, four to three now on the concussion yeah, score yeah. But. and and it's it's got a lot of um uh, i i think I, I i like all the the backstory to it and i like all um and the way it all sort of comes together in an ending which is really i i think um, nicely done and has a bit of tragedy to it also yeah and um uh so i yeah i like this episode i i, I don't think this is uh one of my favorites but i do i do i do think it's a solid episode so yes. um so and that that was me doing that very quickly so let's dive into some minutia here and can i just say real quick well, it's, it won't be real quick. Nothing I ever say on here. Real quick. That's that's my that's my thing. That's why um, we're not Twitter. Yes, exactly. Um, uh, I was going to say the um, there's a character in this name, Alfred Hawkins, and Alfred Hawkins is played by the gentleman who played. I hate to take us back. No, I, I love to take us back to the Henning verse. Played by a gentleman who played Leif Crick, the laziest man from the the Clampett's hometown who shows up in four episodes of the second season of Hillbillies. And the first time he brings his daughter to try to marry Jethro. And then a few episodes later, he brings his son to try to marry Ellie Mae. And he's the character who is super lazy. Granny has, there's a scene where Granny hates him. And Jed is very wary of him. There's a, there's a, there's a bit where they think Leif is gone. And and Granny is just fuming about over him. So Jethro and Jed, uh, and Jed say, "Well, Granny, what do you think of Leif Crick?" And and Granny goes into like a two minute long "Your Mama's So Fat" kind of thing, where she just goes, <laughs> "Leif Crick is this, and Leif Crick is that." I forget. I don't have him here, but it's like you know, if if you gave Leif Crick the job to do nothing all day, at the end of the day, he'd only have it half done. You know, and she <laughs> just goes, she just goes off on this 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 tangent about how much she hates Leif Crick and Leif Crick. The Clampets are hill people. Leif is a gully person. And the gully, the hill people do not like the gully people. And the thing <laughs> with Leif is that he knows Jed has money, but he thinks it's somewhere on their land, like buried underground. Uh-huh. So, so he keeps digging these big holes. And the thing is, the Clampets know he's lazy, but every time Mr. Drysdale or Miss Jane show up, He's doing some work to try to find the money, so they think he's the most industrious man in the world. <laughs> and it's it's typical, wonderful misunderstanding. And Leif Crick, Leif Crick is one of those guys who, when you first see him, you think, "I bet he smells," <laughs> and um, and he probably does. But but that's yeah, this character of Alfred. And the thing about the Alfred character is he's kind of um, creepy and a little scary in this. Mm-hmm. Peter Whitney, that's the... Uh... Yes. 
Yeah, and he's he's I, I like this character very much, and unfortunately, it, I, we're again we're trying not to spoil it, so I won't go fully uh, more into his character, but I do like his character. And what what else do you have on this? One? Well, the, uh, it's something you hear rather than something that you see. Oh, okay. um, it's it's the the Adam West tie-in, where you've got you've got uh, a couple of deputies that are. Uh, uh, they're interviewing one of the witnesses, Hawkins, uh, and uh, one of the voices. It is not the actor who is playing the deputy. It's Adam West doing a voiceover. Oh my gosh! You know what? You know what? I, 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 I was I was listening to this episode today, and and I was I was looking away, and it starts off, and I thought. Adam West is in the scene. I looked at it and go, and I thought, oh no, why did I think that? Well, oh my gosh, I didn't there's a good reason that. why you thought yeah. that. <laughs> you didn't see him, but you heard him. And I, I, uh, I, I wonder two things on that. Why didn't they use the actor's real voice, and why did they choose Adam West? Yeah, it was fascinating. But wow. um, what, at, what, what was, he, what was he, was he? I know, like, the, the earliest time I can think of for Adam West is he's in a Petticoat Junction in late mm-hmm. 63. I hate to keep bringing it back there, folks. Sometimes it happens. I remember him in a couple. Uh, I remember him in a, an episode of Perry Mason. And okay. I think he was in a couple of episodes of uh, 77 Sunset Strip. Oh, really? Okay. In the first couple of years. So that could be if he's established uh, some relationship with Warner's. Uh, by that time, then it's not surprising, so surprising that they would use him in other things. But the fact that they are using someone who has a voice that you might consider recognizable. Yes. And you'd suddenly think, oh my God, Batman's on the scene. Yeah. Batman and Cal, I'm in. Well, and of course, Batman and Kenny. Yes. Because now oh you, God. here's your Green Hornet Batman tie in. I forget what that character, who's the villain? That Colonel Gum? Is that the guy? They, they, um, in the Batman, I uh, the cross. Think so. Don't, I, I don't think so. Don't don't hold yeah. me to that. But yeah, I, I'm going to say Colonel Gum. But uh, but wow, yeah, that's that's funny. Yeah, because I, I I really did. I I heard that this morning, and I was like, what? And I was like, oh, Dan, you're, here. <laughs> you're going crazy. Nope, nope. There, you are you are as sane as I. Well, no, no, you well, are sane. You are. Sane. <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. There and th- there is another dubbed moment too, where um, uh, uh really obviously dubbed moment too, where um, uh. Where uh, Laura Montgomery, Mary Tyler, sits down with Cal, and she says, uh, "What would I tell you if you could uh, make seventy-five hundred dollars or something like that?" And Cal's jokes like, um, "Oh, I feel I like I feel like I was getting a little weak." And she suddenly stands up and says, "Well, you're not the man for me then." And, and it's completely dubbed in. It's com- it completely. If you listen to it, the audio is like from another space, another plane. And it's like, I wonder what she said or, uh, or why that line was, was re-recorded or, um, that is see, what, interesting. If it were, mm-hmm. if it were a Bond movie, I would be suspecting that this might have been a toned down version of what she actually said, but oh, I, yeah. I, I, I can't imagine they would have tried that on TV. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> uh, maybe for the European market. Oh, that could uh, be, yes. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that All this right. was a good glimpse of real America to them. <laughs> uh, what what else do you have? Any, anything else here? Let me see. We we uh, sorry we, we we went off on on a pretty good tangent there, folks. I, I enjoyed um, it. 
Yeah, me too. Well, I think uh, there, there, were, there were just a couple of things, I think, and they okay. both they both tie into something that I've uh, written about in the past that you can see in my book. But, uh, no, I don't mean to plug that again. Well, yes, I do. But yes, uh, seriously, plug away, plug yeah. Away. Uh, the, uh, the, 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 one of the, the opening scenes, and again, I don't think you can give away something that happens right around the opening credits. Oh, a yeah. woman, a woman gets shot in the back. And, uh, I find that, I find that it, an extremely violent way to get rid of somebody. It's, it's one thing to shoot them. Period and kill them, but there's still something about that old code of the West that, about yes. shooting someone in the back, and you know that the the guy who does it has to be a bad guy because only a bad guy would shoot somebody in the back. Yeah, and this is '59. Gunsmoke yep. is a bonanza or a rockin', and there are a thousand other um, wagon train mm-hmm. thousand. Uh, uh, yeah, this is the era of the westerns. So, and then, wow. then there's one other scene near uh, the end when there's a uh, a fight on on the, the the boat. Pretty good, pretty good fight. Uh, I, I suspect that you've got more concussions. You've probably got yeah. any one of these punches would have knocked somebody out. And uh, it's it going back and forth, and they're taking all this punishment and without even a scratch at the end. And it's mm-hmm. it's very indicative of the style of television and the style of violence that you saw in the late 50s and early 60s. And it's it's something that Warner Brothers was particularly fond of because if you watch any of their detective shows or their uh, westerns from that era, there is a lot of of violence that what what Mickey Spillane of all people called this kind of stuff lazy violence because he said it didn't it didn't advance the plot it didn't uh, really show you the inner violence that arises from the situation it was he didn't use the word gratuitous but he said he used the word lazy and although this kind of a scene doesn't bother me it's kind of fun actually but Mm -hmm. it is because it is so patently unrealistic that i can't see it having an effect on anybody but it considering how controversial violence on television was uh, there was a, they had a congressional investigation into it a couple of them actually and it was linked to juvenile delinquency and things like that this scene is is very representative of what they are talking about and i think many of the fights that you see in these series would fit into that but i, w- I was struck by that that i thought well this is exactly what they're talking about and i'm yeah, not they- offended by it it's just something i noted Mm-hmm. Yeah, there there are a lot of brawls in this, uh, like knockdown, drag out mm-hmm. sort of fight scenes in this, and and, and yeah, I I think I'm not sure if because uh, there are a couple of them in this episode. I'm I'm not sure if you're talking about this one in specific, but there is one, uh, and I will say it's the one that's not between any of our main characters that has a feel sort of it's it, it's fun in a way, but it also has a feeling of how is this going to end. Mm, kind of thing how, yeah. how does this how does this end this doesn't end does this end with one guy knocking out another and leaving or does it end more brutally than this and um i'm not going to answer that you're going to have to watch it yeah i was so referring to i was referring specifically to the other one the one that oh, okay. does have one of our characters okay. in it uh, cal mm-hmm. but but um i i know the the other one too and that and and, and you're right that has a uh, uh 
I don't want to say surprisingly, but it is kind of a, what I guess you might call an adult moment of violence there. Yeah, yeah, because it, it, it really is like you, you sit there and you watch it and you just think, how can this end but with one of them dying mm-hmm. or, or, or killing the other? Yeah. You know, because what, what they want, they're after the $75,000, and it, it's like uh, the, uh, one of them can't, uh, they both can't leave alive in this. Yeah, it ain't going to end well. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, I, I actually have uh, a note here. It's just brawls with an exclamation point next to it. There was a nice scene, though, at the end of Cal's fight where he, as he's leaving, he kind of shakes his fist or rubs his fist. And, uh, oh, yes, yeah, we're, we're, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, that last punch just kind of got to the knuckles there yes, but uh yeah. at least his uh at least his hat came off we have a <laughs> we have a, a local columnist here james lilacs who does a lot of pop culture writing and he will talk about uh serials from the uh from from the era right our men to the moon and that kind of thing uh-huh. and one of the his rules is that because most of it is stunt men working on it there's a rule that in even the wildest fights hats must stay on Yes, <laughs> the, you get thrown off a cliff, and your hat is still on at the bottom. <laughs> and yeah. so I think I think any scene where a hat comes off is a good scene in one of these. It's pretty significant. Let's <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and uh, may I just recommend a serial that's out on Blu-ray, which is wonderful. Daredevils of the Red Circle. Ooh. I, I recommend it. There, it's in, so much great stunt work, and it's really wonderful. And um, I recommend it highly. Mm, I'd get that um, just for the title. Yeah, it's it's, it's really good. Um, and so I have just two more, one more, two more, one, well, at least one more thing. And one of them involves the um, the guy who shoots the woman in the back in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Because what happens is, what well, you heard in my plot description, she, she, yeah, she's on board the, the thing. Um, but he actually, the jerk, the watchman guy, Cyrus King, and I may have put that in quotes, actually tries to sexually assault her. And she pushes him away, leaves, and he shoots her in the back. I think that's probably about as low as you can get. Yeah. Um, and this guy, I mean, this guy, you know, I said before, you may think Leif Crick smells. I think Cyrus King smells worse. Yes. I think he sm- he smells of death, mommy. If, and it's just, it's, a, ugh. and the other thing is, um, and I think this is, this is, this will be my last note here, um, is that when Cal goes to visit Luella, the aunt, there's, there's just a weird moment, which made me think, does she do this often where as he pulls up, it cuts inside her house and she's standing by her record player and she just has music play and she's just literally standing like with her arm over it kind of just like swaying slightly to the music and knock 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 and she turns the music off and i thought is that how they listened to music back then put the music i mean wouldn't you like sit in a chair do you need to uh, just be standing over it's it's like she's almost waiting for someone to knock on the door. It, it again. It sounds like it's. I could be completely wrong about this, but it just seems very southern to me. Okay, the kind right. of yeah, thing you might see in a Hitchcock story set okay. in the South. P- possibly something like when she, if she puts on maybe she put on like a seventy-eight rather than like a three to third or something like that, and so it's only going to be like she she just she was doing something and she said for the next three minutes I want to hear this song. 
and she really she just stands over it because she's good. Because I mean, like I'm my my uh, my gramophone, my my Victrola. It actually is a Victrola. Is is to my left here, and when I put albums on it, I don't stand over it. Maybe that's because I'm a northerner. I don't know. We we like to put some distance in between ourselves and the record player. I don't know. I really don't know. But th- but that scene struck me as like I, I I like what you said that maybe yeah that's sort of a yeah that like a southerny sort of thing rather than a I'm waiting for someone to knock on the door. I just love the eccentricities of the the characters in this yes. series. I was I was ripping cork bots before in uh, I think the previous episode, but these yes, aren't yes. these aren't cork bots. These are legitimately eccentric people. Yes, this is this is yeah, this is this is a woman who's out. Yeah, she's in the middle of nowhere. They don't even have a phone. Although it seems like there are points in the episode where it's kind of implied that she's in Cat Bayou. Not a great name. That is a great name, which to me sounds like you'd have to go some distance to get to her. But it seems like there are a few moments in the episode where Cal like gets there in a snap. Mm. You know, and and maybe we're, you know, they're really compressing the time. Well, he's a professional detective, remember. That's true. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah. And he'll go back there after he's been concussed one night, and he will he will return. And what? Here, here's my last thing. Here's my last thing. Okay. The, sorry, folks. This, this. No, not sorry. I hope we hope you enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, one last thing, and then if you have anything else, uh, do you have anything else? I don't. I'm going to let oh, you have the last word here. Okay. This will be the last one. Interesting. I don't know if this is that interesting. I'm, you can hear my note, my notes flipping. Um, do you all remember a couple episodes ago when Kenny got his own episode, and there was a point where the mom of the killer says that is it's been rough on him ever since his dad died the day before Christmas, and do you know on Cyrus King and I put him in quotes. Do you know what his birth date was? Pray tell. December 24th, 1918, the day before Christmas. Wow. I'm wondering if there's something going on there. Hmm. If Christmas Eve will show up again. They don't have a Christmas episode as far as I know, which is too bad. But uh, that's so weird that within, well, within three episodes, Christmas Eve is is well it's not a major plot point but it is it, you could have picked any date yeah exactly i i'm wondering if it's like a maybe like the producer or something was like felt like christmas eve was someone someone important dies someone who's actually a jackass is apparently born in this one but that yeah that's my last note on there just a link to that previous episode so eh, what does it mean i don't know folks you tell me you tell me um so, uh, all right, that is the Black Magnolia. And, um, Mitchell, where can we find you online? And pitch your book. Okay. Um, the website is itsabouttv.com. The book is um, The Electronic Mirror. It is available through Amazon, or you can go to my uh, author website, MitchellHadley.com, and there's a link to different places that you can get it, information about it, information about me, if you want to get an autographed copy, anything like that. But uh, I I hope you will uh, check both of them out. I think you'll enjoy them. Thank you very much once again for joining me. My pleasure. And I think uh, I'm looking to see if anything else. No, I think we're done. Um, I guess uh, I guess we'll wrap up with um, 
One, I, I, I think, uh, as I said, I think Leif Crick smells a bit, but I think Cyrus King smells worse. And two, Mary Tyler Moore. <laughs> aging detective has just named his last murderer. Who killed him? Was it the munitions maker? If anybody killed Drew, it was that cowboy pilot. The ex-con flyer. I didn't kill him, Inspector. Now that's the blessed truth. The alert junior executive. He drugged the coffee. The many talented sculptress. He could have fallen asleep and I left him at the murder. The master mechanic. If that's what you're driving at, you're on the wrong highway. Or was it someone else? Match wits with Ellery Queen and see if you can guess who done it. Adventure of the Disappearing Dagger. What? April 4th, 1976. Original air date directed by Mr. Jack Arnold. And teleplay by Stephen Lord and Robert Van Skoik. Story by Stephen Lord. Skoik. Skoik. And we got a lot of folks in here. Gary Berghoff, Ronnie Cox, Mel Ferrer, Walter Pigeon, Dana Winter. Winter? Uh, and, um, And I also have with me, guess who it is. You get. I'm gonna, I'm gonna disguise my voice. Can you tell who I am? Can you tell who that is Can joining you me? Tell? It's me, Madeline. Hey! I'm a very bad voice disguiser, so I you probably was... guessed, but maybe you thought Gary Berghoff. Oh my gosh, is Gary Berghoff in the room mm-hmm. promoting his hit sitcom Walter? W a l t e r. This is Berghoff. No, it's me. I'm happy to be here with Yay, you. Thanks. The... I'm sorry. I've uh, been MIA. No, that's okay. We um. Uh, this is the last episode. Our last episode. It is. Uh, and I guess uh, I'm just gonna let's just uh, do a real uh, quick breakdown. Yeah, it begins with um, it's Hamilton Drew Walter Pidgeon, uh, wheelchaired um, detective who used to work with uh, Inspector Queen, who has called together the the folks who were involved in the murder of a munitions uh, maker guy, Stuart Hendricks, mm-hmm. who was killed on a plane. Uh, going from Chicago to New York five years before, and a guy named Buck Nolan, uh, Ronnie Cox, the pilot, was arrested. For the Moida. For the Moida. For murdering him for to the, death. The Moida and and stealing some rifle plans. Yes. But he went to jail for rifle for the rifle plans, not for the murder. And uh, Hamilton Drew was the investigator there, and he calls together Buck and Buck's gal, Norma Lee Burke, and um, the wife, I, I forget, is was it Melissa? Or Alyssa? Or oh, Alyssa. I Alyssa, believe. okay. Um, was uh, Stuart Hendricks' wife. She's now married to the new head of the company, Brandon, Brandon Childs. Childs. Played by... Mr. Ferrer. Yes. And uh, Gerald oh. Hawker. Is that right? Right? That was his name, right? Hawker? Um, uh, was it? Hacker. 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 Gerald Hacker. I can't read my writing. I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs> he's that's awesome. A, he's that's, a um, that's Radar, of course. And honestly, we just watched this three minutes ago. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and I don't remember until Dan says it. And so, yeah, and Hamilton Drew is is killed by somebody. He calls them together and he kind of reveals something, saying, I know who really did it. 
then he gets killed afterwards. And I'm going to play you this scene. Uh, this is this is fun. It's being the end of the series. When the episode begins, it's it's like eight in eight in the morning. And Ellery and his dad, with all sorts of fishing equipment and stuff, return from a trip to, well, you'll find out. Uh, the old place looks good after a week in Riceville. Yeah, at least you finished your books. All I did was find trout smarter than I am. Well, you caught one, didn't you? Dad's dropped some. I don't think so. Oh, you're right. It's a telegram. Boy, I must have put it under the door. Here. Who's it from? What's well, from Hamilton Drew? He wanted me to come to his apartment last night at 9 o'clock. You say why? Only the urgent, and he couldn't reach me by phone. Well, it's 8.30. You think he might be up by now? Maybe. Well, he wasn't feeling too well lately. Old age is creeping up on him. He's unlisted. Where's that address book? Address book? You know, never mind, never mind. You know, if it hadn't been for Hamilton, I never would have made inspector, maybe not even detective. He took me under his wing, left the force in, uh, when was it, 1938. Wanted me to join him in a private detective agency. I sure learned a lot from that old bird. Strange, I'm quitting after all these years. Not so strange. She was 65 years old. They thought he was too old to do the job. Hello. Oh, hi, Billy. Yeah, Dad's here. We just walked in the door. What's up? They went to Wrightsville. Wrightsville. Yay! Good old Wrightsville. Good old Wrightsville. They returned there several times in the books. Well, Ellery did, at least. And um, it was nice to see him go back because... They didn't they, have much left pitching, or at least Inspector Queen didn't no, have no. much left. And uh, and uh, they learn that uh, yeah, Drew has been killed, and they begin to investigate that. And as they're investigating that, they're also going back and investigating the murder of Stuart Hendricks, trying to figure out what happened there. And there's a lot going on. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of misdirection. There are these stolen plans. There's Gary Berghoff being anti-radar. He's very, very anti-radar. Very, um, not, uh, not helpful, I'd say. Not, yes. not. And <laughs> one of my favorite Ellery moments is, what, what does he say? Um uh, a liar. Oh yeah, yeah. After he talks to Ellery, talks to um, uh, uh, Gerald Hacker, ha- Hawker, Hacker, Hacker. We decided. Damn it. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, he, he talks to him. Uh, I'm just going to call him Radar. Um, oh yeah. After he talks to, to Radar, uh, who gets very belligerent towards Ellery mm. when Ellery is examining the death plane, um, uh, and Ellery is talking to Radar, and then he goes and talks to his dad and says, "Yeah, I was just talking to that Gerald." radar guy boy is he a liar he gets incensed about it yes, too he really does. makes him angry mm-hmm. that he's a liar that he's lying so much mm-hmm. uh let, let, let me actually play you here this is the the clip this is a flashback from later into the episode when uh, normally burke is telling uh the queens about their get together with hamilton drew and um uh and radar's response to remembering that hamilton drew was an older gentleman in a wheelchair so i i it's a good yeah, scene enjoy but this. I, I really like enjoy this miss burke could you tell us exactly what did happen last night? Well, Buck and I went together. Uh, we were a little late, and when we got there, everyone was there already. I hadn't seen any of them in five years. Good evening. I'm so glad you all came, and uh, I want to thank you for uh, humoring an old man. Why the wheelchair? 
A minor inconvenience, Mr. Hacker. This had better be worthwhile, Drew. Brandon, no one forced us to accept this invitation. You were curious, and so am I. Curiosity uh, leads to discovery, they say. Don't they also say something about it killing the cat? An interesting observation, Captain Nolan. Under the circumstances, most interesting. Look, Mr. Drew, just why did you ask us to come? To tell you that I have solved the murder of Stuart Hendricks. After all this time? My only excuse is that the killer meant to mislead me and succeeded. Until now. The killer was arrested five years ago. The jury just wasn't offered enough proof. There wasn't any proof because I didn't do it. Oh, come on, you stole those automatic rifle plans. The police found them in your apartment. Another frame-up. I spent five years on that lousy charge, Drew, and I won't forget it. Please, Buck, at least listen to what he has to say. Maybe he can prove you were framed. Yes, exactly what is this new evidence, Mr. Drew? So I guess is that something you normally do if you to if someone in a wheelchair you say why yeah why the wheelchair <laughs> why, why the why the wheelchair that's that's literally the way he says it you know it's not like um, oh my gosh are you okay what happened it's and, not like Hamilton the... Drew walked into the room then yeah. sat in the wheelchair yeah he's not in uh, which case yeah maybe you know but even then yeah he's yeah, not it's um, not like he's Guy Caballero yeah I was gonna say SCTV. yeah I was gonna say yeah he's not like yeah Guy Caballero who does it for respect yeah the wheelchair for respect right, right. Um, uh, yeah, so he's you know he's an older gentleman in a friggin' wheelchair. Mm -hmm. But yeah, and so the uh, investigation goes from there. And I guess I guess I'll I'll ask what uh, what did you think of the episode? I loved. I didn't. I don't know if this intentionally was the last episode, but I think it was kind of a perfect last episode mm -hmm. in that a you know they're mourning a detective. Yes. And we're mourning our detectives. Yes. Uh, and I, I really like this episode. Mm -hmm. Like, I, you get a lot of good Ellery and his dad. You yes. get a lot of um, kind of angry Ellery and his dad. Yeah. Like, they seem more frustrated in this one mm -hmm. than I, they have in other ones. And it really adds a nice flavor to it. Like, when Ellery, you see them lose their cool with each other. Yes. And yeah. I love his dad at the end keeps telling him to have a cookie and some milk <laughs> yes, <yeah. laughs> he's treating him like such a little yeah, boy he does have some milk yeah. he has some milk it's good, good for, for you, you. <laughs> have and a cookie i don't want a cookie i don't want a <laughs> all right i'll have a cookie and then there's a there is a moment there yeah where ellery um uh, says something like, uh, you know, the the reason why you're so convinced of Buck Nolan is because Hamilton Drew said said he was the killer or something yeah. like that, and and his dad gets really mad at him and Ellery's just face his face like drops yes. and he says, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Now tell me, I have a question for yeah. you, Dan. Can you ever go wrong with an angry Ronnie Cox? No, he's angry a lot in this. He's angry drunk. He's angry sober. He's just angry all over he the is. place. What did you say? We, we said he, was, he yeah. came out that way. He, he came, came out he angry. Came. Yeah, I said, because uh, there's there's a moment where they're in the meeting with Hamilton Drew there, and he, he gets mad about something. And I just want him to lean in and just say, I apologize, everyone. I'm naturally hot-headed. <laughs> and I just imagined him like like his mom giving birth to him, you know, like the doctor going, here he comes, here he comes, Mrs. Um, Mrs. Nolan, here he comes, and then Mom just going, "Ow, he punched me in the vagina!" And you're gonna remember it, Ma. <laughs> I punched my way out. I, I punched my mom in the vagina on the out. way out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm getting out of here. <laughs> yeah. Nine oh. months in this place. He, we Bullshit. checked the ultrasound. He pulled the shiv on me. <laughs> I have to give your fetus five dollars just to oh. get out of here alive. So uh, uh, yeah, there's a nice angry, angry Ronnie Cox, angry yeah, Ronnie and, Cox, and 
angry little Gary. Yes, yes, very angry. The tiny killer, you kept calling him. I did. The T, I'm the tiny killer. But, but is he a killer? We don't no, know. No, we don't know. He could have been. Uh, there, there could be, a, could not be, I don't know. Moment the tiny end. Tiny killer. killer when they're Tiny to I want little, some lips in my shoes. Killer for ankles. No, <laughs> stabber of ankles. The uh, and there was a moment in the end where like uh, he's standing up, kind of facing Ellery, and um, Buck is standing, whose Ellery size is like right behind Ellery, and they're on a plane that's tilted, so it makes him look even smaller. He does. And there's there's a moment where you just want Ellery to lean in and go, "Let me tell you something, Radar." If you don't stop talking to me like that, I'm gonna pick you up. I'm gonna hand you to Buck, and we're just gonna throw you around the cabin, okay? <laughs> like a beach ball. You little tiny guy. All I right. No, I also kind of expected him just to, to, to bend down and kiss his forehead. Like, <laughs> you're, 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 you're sweet. Adorable. You're sweet. You're adorable. I'm 38. I'm 38. <laughs> Leave me alone. No, you're not. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of. Uh, yeah, I really like the episode too. I think the mystery is. I I think this is one where. Um, a, a lot of the times, yeah, I have real trouble finding guessing who the killer is. And mm-hmm. this one, I think the first time I did also, just because there's a lot of misdirection yes. because there is the killer is also involved with these missing rifle plans and this ransom and all this other stuff. Right. And there are two killings, so you're trying to, and there's a lot going on. And um, but but I can see watching it now for like the fourth or fifth time or the tenth or eleventh that uh, they really do kind of set up very nicely. Who the killer is, I think, throughout. They do. There are yeah. no, there are enough clues and enough moments that gear you towards it. Mm-hmm. And I almost thought when I was watching this time, are there too many clues? Now I didn't I didn't know the first time, mm-hmm. and then I'm like I said, I'm really bad at this. So I'm wondering are there but but hey, but hey, you know. But hey. I actually forgot. Me, I thought it was somebody else. Oh, there you go. There, well, there you go, folks. We've watched this like four or five times together. I'm terrible. Uh, no. Um uh yeah, so I really like this. I, I uh, oh sorry, go go. I think the joy of it, yeah, it's got a great mystery. Uh, and it's, I think there's a lot of nice moments, a lot of stuff going on. Plus, there are a lot of lovely asides from Ellery yes. and his dad throughout, like the thing with the milk. Um, I here uh, You get I, some I, good Veely, too. You get some good Veely. Oh, yeah. Poor Veely gets a black eye. This yeah. isn't a spoiler, Buck but from who else? Buck, uh, angry Baby. Angry. Buck yeah. <laughs> angry angry Buck. Fetus, angry, yeah. Uh, gives him a black eye. And, yeah, and he, they ask him, Ellery asks him, what happened to your eye? And he said... He didn't want to come with me. <laughs> yes. The suspect didn't want to come with me. <laughs> there, there are a lot of really um, nice aside moments and such throughout the episode that are... Are you going to play really the magician? Sweet. One of my here, favorites. Let me... So he goes... To, it's Marvin, right? Marvin. That's why he's Marvin. Okay, so he's here Marvin. is... Um, uh, Ellery is trying to figure out... There's there's something has gone... Uh, well, it's the title. The Disappearing Dagger. That's, that's one of the mm-hmm. things. Where did the dagger go? Everyone thinks Buck threw it out this little window in the cockpit. There's no other place he could, they could have really thrown it out because the windows don't open and you can't open the door uh, when you're up that high because everyone would have noticed. Yeah, and, gotten sucked out. Yes. And I do like, do you notice, I, I don't, I'm sure this is normal, but when they were entering the plane for the final scene, above the door, as you're entering it, it says exit. Oh, does it? Do I think thought that it said would... bless this mess. <laughs> My our pool has no pee in it. No, wait. What's that? Thing? Um, uh, so um, I I don't know what I was talking you were about. You're talking about exit and the door exit and how, the door oh, and how the he what goes to see Marvin. How yes. he just oh, happens yes. to know an ex-con magician. He, yes, if anybody he, knows one, it's Ellery. Yes, he knows an ex-con who I think is is shown as being like a pickpocket, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And he goes to talk to him. He's Marvin the magician. Here's mm-hmm. here's the scene. Eureka! Hi, Marvin. Well, if it isn't the chicken inspector's son. Yeah, it's been a long time. How you been? Uh, straight as a pin. Since I came out on parole, I 
Haven't gone near a pocket or glanced at a purse. Marvin? Excuse me, Queen. Breaking in the assistant, yes, my dear. Marvin, when should I use the blindfold? While you're collecting watches from the audience? Ixnay, Ixnay, you go away the whole show. Vamos. Watches, Marvin? Well, give them all back. <laughs> what do you take me for, a cheap thief? My parole officer send you? No, no, no. Marvin, I've got a problem, and I hope you can help me solve it. If I wanted to make something disappear, what would be the best way to do it? Well, that all depends. Uh, if it's a coin, you uh, simply blow on it. Hustle it. <laughs> no, it's not a coin. Not a coin. Handkerchief? It's a little harder. It takes years of diligent practice and self-denial. Oh, boy, that's It's not a handkerchief, either. A cards. No, not cards. Well, then it has to be a chicken. It's the only prop I have left. Marvin, it's a dagger. A dagger? That's a new one. The great Gilhui used to make a goat disappear, but a dagger, I don't know that one. What's skimming? Well, this dagger disappeared right after it was used to kill somebody. Don't look at me. I was in Philadelphia on Thursday, and I can prove it. That was five years ago. I've got an alibi. I know exactly what I was doing five years ago. What? Seven years. <laughs> Marvin, how would you make a dagger disappear? There are only three basic ways. You conceal it, you get rid of it, or you change it into something else. Sorry, pal, and I gotta go on now. But if you wanna find that dagger, you're looking in the wrong place. You're right, Marvin. Thank you. Good luck. I can do that to a bet. That's why he's Marvin. All right, and this that's has. That's why he's Marvin. That's that's why he's Marvin. <laughs> and yeah, Ellery, Ellery, there. He's trying to because the Marvin does some sleight of hand, and part of it's with, with the, the coin. coin. And Ellery, you get a really nice close up of Ellery trying to do it, and, get, and just just that aside, like, oh, I, I bet I can do that too. That's why he's Marvin. That's why he's Marvin. That's uh, going to be my new uh, mantra. <laughs> that's why he's celebrating Marvin. different people's gifts. The party of. That's why he's the, Marvin. The, the wonder of Marvin. And there's a moment here when Marvin that you really liked, and you couldn't figure out exactly oh, yeah, whether it was any good. So Ellery is entering the scene behind Marvin, but he's clearly within Marvin's eye line for a while. But Marvin kind of doesn't register him. I don't know. I can't quite explain it, but he doesn't register that Ellery is there until a point when I think, surely you must know that he's there, <laughs> unless you have no peripheral yeah. vision or you have some, you, you're blind. Mm. But uh, it was a fun acting moment. Yeah, I enjoyed it's, it. It's, it's an interesting choice because he really is like he's facing away from Ellery, and then Ellery comes up behind him, and he's kind of he's kind of moving back and forth, looking all around as Ellery's approaching from his right. And then right when Ellery comes up to him and says Marvin he's kind of facing away from him and then he turns slowly and puts his hand out and like takes Ellery's hand before he looks at him it kind of he's, uh, he's getting ready to greet him before he seems yes. to have registered that who he's it there. is yeah yeah like who but it maybe is. he's also a seer that's true. Uh, maybe, maybe he sees it in his very near future that Ellery's oh, going to be there, so possibly, he prepares yeah, for yeah. it. Or maybe or, that's just the way he does stuff. It's just like that's, I think he was maybe finishing the moment with the chicken, the rubber oh, chicken. Oh, yes, he had a moment with the chicken, yeah. yeah rubber and chicken. he kind of knew Ellery was there, but mm. he felt like, I need to wrap this chicken thing up before guy, I can uh, properly greet this yeah, man. Yeah, yes, I did seven years in prison, but I know mm -hmm. how to greet Ellery Queen. 
mystery uh, royalty so, like Ellery Queen. So that that is a lovely moment, and, and and the episode is peppered with all sorts of great moments. There's there's an in- interesting moment we were trying to figure out uh, when you see um, the Childs is 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 in Connecticut. They yes. are in oh, yeah. Elmsford, Connecticut. Right. And uh, they're they're sort of just like in, a, like in front of an antique shop or something. So it's you know it's Village somewhere. Antiques. In, yeah. So you know it's somewhere in the country, and there mm-hmm. there are people moving around and cars going by. But but when it's actually on them, it's fairly tight on them. So you know you see the occasional person, the occasional car go by. Having done a lot of extra work, I know that you know that's something easy to arrange. But it opens with this overhead shot of like the town square, which is yeah. probably that town square in Warner Brothers mm-hmm. that I was on on the last episode of yeah. Seinfeld. It looks like it, Absolutely. and you see a, a slew of people and all sorts of movement and everything, which seems far too elaborate mm-hmm. for a show like this. And it's slightly like out of focus. Focus or hazy, so we were thinking it's probably a stock shot. I think it's probably a stock shot from another production, yeah. And which is why when they cut to the ground, it looks like where they were, but you don't like see that gazebo anymore. Right. You don't see all the people ever again. Plus, in the I shop. grew up in Connecticut, and there are never that many people in Connecticut. No, never, never. I've been there a few times. So, um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that that was. I kid. A, there are plenty of people. Yeah, in they're all over. It's it's teeming. We're everywhere. Them. They're lousy with people in there. Oh. In the, in the, no, the, I know you're mm-hmm. lousy. Like, as in you're lousy with something else, meaning a, a lot. Of. Mm-hmm. Uh, boy, is he a liar! Uh, plenty of all oh, right. Uh, what what else? Uh, what else? Uh, I Greg's also like the guy who worked in the plane. Air, what was his name? Oh, uh, Buffo. Buffo. Mister or Buffo. Buffo. Wait, Buffo, you're Buffo, Buffo for you're Buffo Buffo for Buffo. I, am. I think is what we said. So it's Buffo. I, S. Buffo, I, was I to believe. Think of who he reminded me of. Mm. You had half he of it. He was a love child of David Cross and the guy who played Mike in uh, Breaking Bad. Mm. Oh, yeah. yeah. Maybe. Possibly, yeah. He had a great face. I love yeah, his face. Yeah, he had a real face. good face, yeah. I wanted to just go, oh, that Yo. face. You. Uh, oh, there's there's a uh, there's a moment where they're tracking down Buck Nolan in the end because they think he may have shot at the, at the Queens. Yeah. And uh, first off, they look like uh, the 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 street set they're on or the street mm-hmm. um, location they're on. I kept I kept expecting to see Laverne and Shirley peering through one of the yes. basements or Lenny and Squiggy stroll out. <laughs> um, and and there is a there is a moment and I didn't write down exactly what it is, but like where the ca- car is uh, the Queen's car is pulling up and it's all mysterious and the piano does like da 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 da. And it's I'm like, did very that just subtle go? because I didn't even hear it. It, it was, and I and I said back. to, yeah. and I just, I said, did you, did the piano just go da 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 da? And I said, I don't think so. And we went back, and all of a sudden, la 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 la. You know, if we go to another costume party sometime together, mm-hmm. maybe we could go as Inspector Queen and Ellery. Oh, that would be fun. Yeah, yeah, and we could do, and we could do that if if someone is confused by it. We could also say that it's um. Uh, Timothy Hutton's outfit from that <gasps> co- costume yes. party episode of Leverage, where yes. he goes as his dad, which mm-hmm. is a great moment. We could be Hutton's. Yes, we could be. Hutton's. Isn't that a song? It is. We could it's be. It's my favorite Bowie song. I was going to say, yeah, we could be Hutton's. Just for one day. Just for one day, we, we could, could be, be Hutton's. Hutton's. Just for, for one, one day. day. All right, let's see what else. I, we have. I will be Tim, and you, you we'll will be Jim, Jim. and we. <laughs> And we we'll can bring be Hutton's. We'll bring just along for someone one day. to be David Wayne. <laughs> That's why he's hmm. more. All right, let me see if I got anything else here for hmm. this one. Yeah, I think it's a lovely ending. They mentioned Inner Sanctum. I love how much 
Um, even, I mean, this is a point, well, no, TV's still uh, a long way away from everyone having TVs if this is like yeah. 47, 48. Um, it's going to be a few years. we got got to get Lucy into the mix. But I did but, love that it ended up being, because the very last moment is they're deciding who gets credit for yes. solving the case, and they decide it goes to Hamilton Drew, the late, great Hamilton Drew. Yeah. And I thought that was a lovely way to end mm. the series of... Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah if they, I, I, I knew. I would imagine they knew it was the end of the season when they made it. But I don't know if they knew it was the end of the series. Yeah. But it has a feel of like this could be a lovely capper to the yeah. series. It's it got. It really was. I thought. It's it's got the nice script. Got a lot of great actors in it. Uh, a lot of great Ellery and 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 his dad stuff with some Beely stuff. It's got it's directed by uh, the great Jack Arnold, mm-hmm. and it's got a lot of nice long shots in it. Oh like yeah. The, like the I believe. That first shot you the, said the at, Wrights- the, at the apartment, that their townhouse. Yeah, the Wrightsville shot, that opening shot, that first soundbite you heard. That's that's all. That whole thing is one long shot. Uh, there's a scene where uh, Ellery goes to visit Alyssa. Mm-hmm. Um, a child's there as she's uh, sculpting, and she's doing a sculpture of a nude woman named Wanda. Yeah. You know what Wanda's? I got it for you here, guys and gals. Yeah. Her her uh, phone number Bowling Green zero five five five. The backward five five five. Yeah, it's the backward five 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 instead of five 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 at the at the front, and uh, that that one that isn't all one shot because you get a, a, a shot on Wanda, the reverse shot on Wanda. But sort of the second half. She's it, in the nude. She's in the nude, and they sort of do that thing where like her arm is in such a way where it's blocking the behind of the bust, the and then crotage. there's some sort of support like where the crack of the behind mm-hmm. is. And, but yet when the camera, you get the idea. Yeah, when the camera pans to the right. And I was looking at that going, was that, is that a supporter? Hey, I can see the behind. Could you see it? Yeah, I Did think you, you can see it crack? briefly. You can see it briefly. Um, or was it uh, unmolded as such? I, I could have sworn I saw a little crack. Oh, I didn't nice. go back because I you thought... You didn't go back to crack? Because I didn't want to over-perv crack this. Crack and back. Uh, crack yeah, and go to the crack okay. and when back. When I go to the gym... Yeah, I gotta check, I'll be checking it out. <laughs> um, but th- that that scene, more or less from the point Wanda leaves, is one shot. And that's really nice because the two of them are moving back and forth yeah. through the frame. There's a point where she comes up very close on the left and Ellery's behind her on the right. Then there's a point where everyone goes, camera tracks back and they move forward mm-hmm. a bit. And then all of a sudden she's back at the sculpture and Ellery is where more or less she was. It's really, it's like the, um, the Wary Witness episode, uh, yeah. which was directed by another guy, I think Doniger. Um, but this one has a lot of great long shots, and um, I, I do like that. I mean, I'm sure they did it for uh, economy's sake, but normally what they do is they shoot it all in one master, and then they do all the inserts. But here, there are shots, obviously, with mm-hmm. more more interrogating-type scenes, have more um, back and forth, uh, whereas scenes where it's Ellery and his dad talking or kind of this, that, um, uh, they're just these nice long shots where the cameras... even Even the shot where... Buffo for Buffo, Buffo for Buffo, and Ellery are sitting on the plane talking. Yeah. The camera is even slowly tracking to the right for no real reason than just to give you uh, some movement in, in what's kind of a slightly boring plane set. Um, so, yeah. I, I P-L-A-N-E. Lo- yes, yes. P-L-A-I-N. Plane, plane set. Uh, but I think this is, um, yeah, I think this is a really nice uh, capper to the series. Me too. And what I'm going to do before we just do our final thoughts. I'd always thought the show was canceled uh, the, uh, because of the Wonder Woman thing, where um, due to inflation being as it was in the mid-70s, Wonder Woman's first season made in 1940s, they canceled it because it was too expensive to do 40s. The producer took it to another network, and I think I've said this on a previous episode, producer took it to another network, said we'll set it in the 70s, we'll do more disco, I don't know if he said that, <laughs> um, uh, and then that other network said let's do it. 
I had always thought I thought I had heard um, uh, that the Ellery was the same way, but Levinson and Link said no to the network, and so it was canceled. But uh, one of our listeners, here we go. I got I got I got the a comment up here, Mr. Mike Doran. Uh, let's see. Um, uh, Gave, gave me this. He said, uh, he, he said, this is, this is the cancellation of Ellery Queen after only one season. Throughout 75-76, Ellery Queen was what would nowadays be called a bubble show. In those three network days, if you ran a good enough second place in your time slot to a big hit, you could generally manage a renewal. At schedule time, Ellery Queen was running a good enough second to $6 million man on ABC. On CBS, Cher's variety hour was barely hanging on. Mm. It was at this point that the CBS brass mandated that Cher reunite on camera with her newly divorced hubby, Sonny Bono. The I people accompanied this with a hype buildup worthy of the second coming. This was at the mm-hmm. onset of the tabloid era, which played its part in this to the hilt. In any event, the Sonny and Cher reconciliation was, excuse the expression, a 10 days wonder. And those were the 10 days when they were taking the ratings. The bionic guy at ABC was still oh. winning the Sunday numbers, but the ex-Bonos uh, Bonos skewed the remaining crowd and Ellery Queen fell. Mm. And there you are. That I, I think mine's a little more romantic, but I think that's probably what happened. <laughs> yes, thank you for As, that. Thank you, Mike. Thank I appreciate you. it. Yeah. And, thank and, you. And, and also, if you go to, and I should be placing this at a beginning or ending, uh, reading some of his comments there, and I will, I will. Um, but if you if you go on the eventuallysupertrain.blogspot.com website, Mike has, uh, has a lot of comments, and he, he, he catches us when we're wrong, and he fills in a lot of background detail that we didn't have, which is always nice. Yes, thank so, you for that. Thank you. And so I guess we're going to wrap up Ellery Queen. Yeah. Sigh. I know, it's uh, sad. Yeah. It's always, it's always sad when we get to the end of a show. I guess... Uh, your final thoughts on Ellery Queen. Um. Well, sorry, I won't cry. <laughs> I'm a mess. Um, <laughs> I love this show. I loved watching it with you. Mm-hmm. And I think Jim Hutton was so charming, and I, um, I love the relationship between him and his dad. I know I've mm-hmm. said that a lot of times, but that's one of my favorite parts of this series is mm-hmm. I think that was so such a lovely relationship and um uh yeah I've I've really enjoyed it and I thank you a million for um for having me to talk to 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 talk, <laughs> for having me on to talk with you about it so thank you yeah how about you I I really uh and thank you for joining me for the oh, show I was, it was super pleasure. fun it's lovely having you on here yeah I was listening to I was actually re-watching some Cobra Mm-hmm. The other night, oh. <laughs> just go back to Cobra, and I realized that the difference is Ellery Queen. I think is a fantastic show. Yeah. I think it's a wonderful show. Cobra is pretty standard '90s syndicated action that definitely has its charms. Absolutely. But what I discovered—it's your problem, child. You love so much. Yes. I, the, Whereas the, Ellery is your kid who ends up going to Stanford. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I think you could show Ellery. Um, <laughs> uh, Ellery, any Ellery episode to someone to get them into it. You know, you yeah. might, you might like if you know they like a certain actor or a certain style. Yeah. You know, oh, you know, um, like if they like a locked room or what? What do you call them? Closed door. Closed door <laughs> mystery. Um, um, uh, you, you know, um, uh, you know who else loved Ellery? Who? The late great Dwayne McDuffie. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! That's right. Dwayne, his yes, memorial. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. His wife, Charlotte, had out a bunch of series that he loved, Green Acres being mm, one yes. of them, Ellery Queen. Uh, I forget some of the others. I just mm-hmm. noted those two because I knew that yes. they were yeah. 
I wish you'd had more time yeah, to I wish be I'd, friends. Yeah, because yeah, you I guys had a lot of better, similar, yeah. similar tastes. Did not, did not realize. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, that's Ellery Ellery Queen. It's a great show. I, I think. Um, oh, oh, let me just finish with Cobra. Mm. I realize the difference with Cobra is that, um, uh, is that. So I just, I just grabbed a random episode of Cobra and said I'm going to put it on. I got like ten minutes in and I was like a little bored. So I went back and I watched and I put on the first two again while I was doing some work. And I realized I think the thing with Cobra is it has to you have to have the build. You have to have the setup and you have to have the build and you have to the characters build and sort of coalesce and then it sort of gets I don't know that it specifically gets better as it goes because I remember being fairly uneven. But you, you care about the characters more. Whereas yeah. in Ellery, I think they're more charming, like right off the bat you could put on almost mm-hmm. any episode and get it enough. Unless in Cobra, they were at the juice bar. What was that place oh, called? Oh yeah, and you got to see all the ladies and the, the ladies. Yeah, oh, you were the, in the Alice Ghostly episode. Might be one to put oh, yeah. on just because that's a lot of fun. But um, uh, but but yeah. So so um, Ellery is is one of those shows um, uh, that I just adore, uh, yeah. and it's it's. Um, uh, maybe one of my top ten, top twenty. I love a lot of shows, but top ten uh, uh, shows. I always love a mystery too. Yeah, yeah, and I. I think yeah, I love the acting in it. The direction is excellent. I love the setting. Um, I love when they vary the setting. Uh, I think the mysteries are are, are really well done, yes. well, well written, and and also it's one of those shows. And I've said this earlier on, and I compare it to what would be a show, possibly Cobra. Actually, I think Cobra could have gone on for. Um, I mean, the show like could Renegade goes on. on. Yeah, yeah. I think Cobra could have gone on and on and on, um, but uh, a show like. Um, Oh, what are other shows we've done on here? Um, I don't remember any of them. Uh, no, I'm well, kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, oh, like Voyagers. I would have loved more seasons of Voyagers, but I'm good with the 20 episodes mm-hmm. we have. Ellery Queen is sort of the same way. I wish there had been more, but as it stands, I think it's it's this is a good, solid canon. sort of canon. Yeah. So, yeah, that's Ellery Queen, everybody. And um, uh, thank you again. Thank for, you again for, for joining me. And we'll that, always have Ellery. Always have Ellery, yay! And Cobra too. And Cobra. <laughs> and <laughs> maybe we'll do the Who Did It follow up. Oh yeah, maybe we we might we might one day do that. Um, where we uh, just do all the minisode. Killers. Yeah, the mini spoiler minisode where we just we just go through and spend like five minutes on each episode just spoiling the ending. Who did it and how he figures it out? Although yes. I'll have to rewatch all of them because clearly I've <laughs> yes. forgotten. Who did everyone yeah, with them? Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that is something maybe one day we shall too. Maybe one so, day. So thank you again. And um, yes, thank you for and listening and for, yeah. Yeah, supporting the show and yes. all that all that good stuff. And, and thank you, Dan. And I'm super proud of you for all your hard work. Thank you, love. And uh, you're great. Yay, and you're great. You're great. And so I guess we'll listen to Ellery one last time. Take it away, Ellery. Well, that's it. Now I know how Stu Hendricks was killed and who must have killed him. You have all the clues, but do you know which ones point to the killer? That melted wax helped me put it together. Remember the white powder on the floor of the airplane. And don't forget the ransom note that was put back the wrong way. And don't forget the sinker. Well, that's it. You got it? Let's find out. Bing bong. Bing 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 bong. Bing bong. Bing bong. Bing bing bong. 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 Bing b
you and your father will be missed. I really enjoyed uh, covering that show. Uh, that was pretty great. And so we got a new show lined up uh, in the future, in the very near future. A brand new old show that I think you guys are really going to enjoy. Thank you again for listening. Let's see, eventuallysupertrain.blogspot.com is the website. Uh, eventually Super Train SoundCloud, uh, Eventually Super Train iTunes and Stitcher. At uh, eSuperTrain1 is our uh, Twitter handle. Eventually Super Train is the Facebook page. Uh, yeah, that's about it. Uh, some Polish American guy reviews things. We're almost the end of BJ and the Bear. Hooray! Um, BJ, you shall be missed also. And Bear, BJ and the Bear. They're all good times. But yeah, regardless, please, uh, esupertrain at yahoo.com is the email address if you want to get in touch with us. So let us wrap this up. And here, uh, to remember Ellery by, here's a little something special. God, I hate when I lie. Isn't lying the worst? Goodbye, Ellery. It was not just a nightmare. It was a real good time. See you next time, everyone. <laughs>